Hey everyone, welcome to the new media show. My name is Todd Cochran. Of course, I'm joined by my co-host, co-host, Mr. Rob Greenlee. Rob, how you doing? I'm doing terrific, Todd. It's great to be back doing the doing the show. You know, this this cadence of uh, Wednesday, Saturday uh, definitely allows us to keep up with things that have been going on. Well, this morning <laughs> it was like, ugh, I have to crawl in here. And actually, yeah. we're going to introduce Gordon in a minute. But you know, I I did uh, made well, not made. That's probably incorrect. In, that's probably socially incorrect to say that. I I cleaned up the toilets, the office. <laughs> so that's what I did this morning here before the show. Wow. So and yes, I have washed my hands. So <laughs> that's right. It's the last we want as a unsanitary podcast. Especially yes. I'm touching buttons here. But anyway, yes. Yes. <laughs> we're going to welcome uh, Gordon Firemark to the show. Gordon, how how, how have you been? I'm great, Todd. Thanks for having me. Hi, Rob. Nice to see you. Hey, to be here. hey, Gordon. It's great. I appreciate you coming on. And these are interesting times, aren't they? And the, on the legal side, even to some degree, in the podcasting realm. So the, the it's, it's uh, coming true. Yes, you know, first of all, I wanted times. to say, you know, our <laughs> right, our um, our last episode was um, sparked some heated discussions in the podcasting space. I I guess that's a nice way of putting it. And I just want to apologize for any impression that I had uh, that I was mean or accusatory or any kind of, you know, creating an unsafe space um, out there uh, for podcast listeners. I don't think if you look at the history of Todd and I, I don't think that's something that we've um, created on this show. And But I do want to apologize for any impression that we get um, gave. Uh, I th- there is a long history of um, heated discussions, and um, but not personal attacks. So that's not something that's been a part of the podcasting ecosystem. But there's been a lot of issues over the years that the community has discussed in a heated way. And uh, sometimes those, you know, there, there are um, differing opinions on things. And and I just wanted to set the stage and apologize for anything that I had said that maybe came across as a personal attack. I think Eric felt like he was under attack and I don't think we want to, the, the article, I'm not, I don't think the article was the issue. So just so Eric no, knows No, it that, wasn't. No. I think the issue was, was this, this claim of, of 20 years. And then, you know, what's funny is I, I did an interview yesterday with Adam on the podcast 2.0 show. And mm-hmm. uh, if you want to use the 20 as the marker, it's actually 21, but you'll have to listen to the podcast 2.0 show <laughs> to understand why it's 21 and not 20. But um, I think from my point of view, we can fully understand that the technology, the idea, the concept, and we said right. this, I think we said this on the last show, just so we're clear, right. was developed in late 2000 in early 2001, mm-hmm. the new fact, no, no, I'm going to say fact. The new thing that poked its head out was Dave Weiner making a claim that he'd made a podcatcher earlier before Adam. To me, well, I, I, think, I had never, I had, I knew he had user land and I knew he was, right. you could right. see an enclosure in a, in a feed reader. People don't even use feed readers anymore. You could see it on some of his software, but there, right. I, the pod. The iPod didn't come out until like August of 2001. So if there was actually a script made, this is new, new. And I went through all my book notes and looked through all that. And having emails from both of those guys 
So I, I'll just, it, it is what it is. My, right. my personal opinion, and this is just Todd, podcasting started when there was the ability to connect it, all the dots, connect right. all the dots. And plus it was the podcasters too, as a creator. Right. So, um, right. but anyway, I, I'm going to say 16 plus if, if someone else wants to say 20 or 21. Okay. It's semantics yeah. at this point. Yeah. It's just because we're passionate about the space because we were here. Right. right. We, we actually went through it and felt it and we're keeping a very close eye on what was happening. And when details are not, those details were not disclosed over the last 16 years until this past week. So I guess that changes the conversation the um, only, to some degree. The only but, thing that wasn't disclosed right. was that there was mm -hmm. a podcatcher before Adam's right. podcatcher. Well, let's be fair to Dave. I believe that that was created so they could test the process of pulling an enclosure, right? So I would think so. Yeah. yeah. So, so it was an experimental um, test process. But from 2000 so, or 2001, there was technically mm -hmm. no podcasters. There was people experimenting with something. Right. Podcast was named in early 2004. And then the mechanism. So. Right. If you want to say, you know, I don't know, Gordon. Yeah. There's, there's a lot. Know, Gordon, what's your thought? There, there's, you know, yeah, you know. It, it's all about. It's, he, he probably doesn't even want to weigh in on this. It's, it's all about, it's all about where, where you're at. Is it, you know, when there was, you know, when there was an idea, is that the, is that the start or was there when the movement or, you know, I, all I can yeah, say is, if you go back to early media pioneers and talking about things, you know, McLuhan said the medium is the message, and then there's the controversy of, well, is the message <laughs> the medium or the medium is the right, message? And right, the truth is, right. you can you can point to the technology anywhere in the history in the timeline of of technology. You can say, hey, without Ben Franklin, there'd be no electricity, and right. therefore there would be no podcasting. <laughs> so, uh, and and in, in the long run, it doesn't really matter. I mean, all of these people contributed in tremendous ways to making this right. medium possible and um, and realizing the promise of a, of a more level playing field for creating media. So uh, kudos to them all. And yeah. I don't think it matters what the timeline yeah. exactly looks like. I mean, and, some, at some point, history matters, but and this is small potatoes. And here's, here's the fact. We've never, you know, I have always, always from day one said that Dave Weiner and Adam Curry were the podfathers of podcasting. I have yeah. never said no, otherwise. Yeah, no, no debate yeah. on that. And I've never, yeah. I've never said that there, that 2004 was, was, uh, when it was invented. We know the history. I wrote the history in 2005, yeah. you know, right. so. Anyway, yeah. it, 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 and, and not only I, but I was the one that documented it with, you know, interviews and questions. And so it is what it is. So, and if you were offended, this is the new media show. <laughs> so we're sorry, but come on, you know, let's, let's have a conversation. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, we get spirited. Yeah. That's what this is about. We, we have, we love this space. It is interesting. Well, and I don't about think what we did on that show is any different than we've been doing on the show for you know media. as long as we've been doing. It. So, Rob, can you hear? Can you hear Gordon? He's you're stepping all over him. Yeah, I can hear him. Okay, I, he's just quiet. He's okay. quiet in the background. All right, sorry, right. go ahead, okay. Gordon. What, say say that again. I was saying, you know, it's sort of weird to be talking about. Uh, this tw now 20 year old technology <laughs> and calling it new media on the new media show. Right, right. But uh, again, it's just words, yeah. just names. 
true too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. But so it is an example. And if we wanted to kind of lead into our, you know, the, the main reason that we wanted to have Gordon on the show, he's a uh, podcaster and an attorney and he's been playing around with the legal issues and helping people in the podcasting space with legal questions and legal issues for many years. And, and I think we're at an interesting time where, and what happened this past week is a, is an example of a little bit of the, uh, I, I guess, cultural and legal conflict that's going on, um, much more broadly, uh, around, um, content and, and platforms and, and, um, each individual's rights to, um, you know, around free speech and rights of companies to control um, their brands and what is said on their platforms. And I think it's an interesting convergence. And And what happened to this show last week is a little bit of, of an example of free speech and and consequences for free speech that are maybe even outside of the realm of legal um, mm -hmm. consequences or whatever. Um, but Gordon, I mean, what's your perspective, you know, as you look at um, – what's happening in the world today around, um, takedowns of content creators. And, and I know this is a huge topic, but, uh, takedown around free speech and does free speech apply to, um, to a private company? I mean, it, can a company decide what speech that they have on their platform? Well, I think we have to distinguish between, you know, free speech and First Amendment and what is censorship. There's different flavors of these things. You know, censorship can right. happen. I, I like to talk about sort of three levels of censorship. There's government censorship. That's the stuff that's, in, in you know, implicating the First Amendment and constitutionality. But there's also um, private censorship where companies, businesses and individuals, you know, get to sort of decide what messages they want to share and what messages they don't want to share or, or be a part of. And then of course, self-censorship, which I think is the most insidious one is the one where you're right. doing it to yourself because you're afraid of what the consequences might be. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, so these all play in together, you know, the first amendment, uh, here in the U S the, the free speech principle is embodied in this first amendment that says government shall make no law. Congress shall make no law that abridges the freedom of speech or of the press and religion and, and, uh, other, I don't want to get into the whole thing. Anyway, mm -hmm. the point being that it takes government action to, for there to be a violation of the first amendment when Twitter or Apple or Google or Amazon decide they're not going to allow someone or some app or something like that to use their service. That is a private business making a decision about who their customers are going to be and who they're not. And, you know, you, you see the signs in restaurants. We reserve the right to refuse service to anyone. It's the same thing going on. These companies get to make that choice. That's them exercising their free speech and free association rights in a sense. And we have Supreme Court precedent that says companies are people for the purposes of of free speech. And so we can't mandate that they carry any particular message or any particular businesses offerings. At the same time, there has been some cases where service refused was considered to be discrimination. That's at, right. right. Yeah. Right. The, the, there are some exceptions to this and that mainly deals with discrimination of people who are in a protected class, you know, race, religion, gender, um, 
sexual preference or orientation, depending on you know, right. all those kinds of things. Uh, but you know, we also had that case involving the, the bakery in Colorado uh, a right. couple of years ago, and that was ultimately decided not on speech ground. Well, it was it was that the state commission was hostile to speech, not not the um, the baker's decisions themselves. So there's a lot of moving parts here. But if Twitter wants to say enough is enough, I think that's within their rights. And and uh, whether it's the right decision or not is something that we as consumers can can talk about and decide whether we're going to vote with our dollars. I, well, that's the, kind of the the social consequences. Right? Oh, Rob, uh, you're, so you're cutting out the bad. legal consequences, uh, I think, is where we kind of convert. Oh, I'm cutting out. Yeah, you're cutting out really yeah. bad. Yeah, I must be having band. Yeah, I must be having bandwidth problems here. Um, I think it was this past week. Parlor, I, I guess, uh, w- went before a, a, a judge, and I guess the judge ruled that the that the platform um, had the right to to take them down. I guess, and that that kind of follows what what you were saying, um, Gordon, about that is that the yeah. companies have, have a right to do that. Now, granted, what's the role of a terms of service in that process? Does a company have to publicly disclose what that is before they can take an action like that? And, and how does a platform, I mean, how responsible is a platform to notifying its users prior to making any kind of change or adjustments to a, a terms of service? I think even that obligation of a prior warning or disclosure is something that's covered or sh- or could be covered in the terms of service. You know, those right. terms of service could say, we're going to give you three strikes or we're going to give you two warnings before we take a final action or something like that. I think a lot of companies don't bother to do that and, and or don't choose to do that because it gives them greater discretion on how to ha- handle these things. That discretion, of course, opens them up to accusations as well as uh, things. But, you know, I think most of these companies are pretty good about saying, hey, you're violating our terms. Don't do it again. Um, the parlor situation is an interesting one because I don't know if they got any of those kind of warnings. And uh, I don't know that Amazon was required to in, in that instance. It wasn't yeah, Amazon uh, and, and Apple. Um, the, mm-hmm. the terms of service are what they are. And that, that, that contract, we have freedom of contract. You can choose not to do business with a company but uh, if you don't like their terms of service. Too. I'll play devil's advocate a little bit here. So today, let's look at the way the internet is perceived. It is perceived as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Mm-hmm. It's perceived yeah. to be a handful of... Like a of, public square kind of A handful concept. of sites. And what I have on my website, my.com is in no way and related to what Facebook is, but people get on Facebook and because it is a so widely used, they assume that they're, they're protected there from, from censorship. And because it's become ambiguous with, with, uh, with the space. And at the same time, is there both these groups and that we won't talk about Amazon because Amazon, you know, did what they did, but let's talk about the, the, the situation with Facebook and stuff that they did. You know, they were censoring what they perceived to be something there, whatever they perceived. Now here's the problem though, you know, me as a podcasting owner, you know, we really look at that section 230 and I don't go looking for content. 
You know, I don't right. go I don't go right. digging around because that that's what Section 230 protects me. So the argument has been here now for a while that Facebook, if they are going to moderate, and Twitter, if they are going to moderate, should lose their protection under Section 230. I, I think well, they Tom, should. Well, there's another provision also part of Section 230 that creates a, a, a protection for the owner of a business like that that ch- does choose to moderate. So it's not just you don't have to, but if you want to, you can is also in that same law. So I don't know about losing your Section 230 privilege. Now, what's interesting here is I, I think there's a lot to be said for the idea that these you know, Apple and Google have essentially 100% between them of the app store ma- marketplace. Right. And right. Facebook has a giant chunk of the social disco- social discourse marketplace. We could look at whether antitrust laws, are they colluding? Are they in, in restraint of trade? Are there, are there other reasons that they should be um, under scrutiny and, and maybe held to a different standard? Or maybe we need to amend Section 230 right. to to say, hey, if you want to be in this safe harbor, then you also have to behave in in what used to be called the common carrier kind of an approach where you wouldn't exercise editorial scrutiny or discretion over over your content. But, you know, the way the law is written right now, I think they're within their rights to do so. And it's going to come down to market forces that have to be um, brought to bear. I think it goes back again, and I continue to say it, 99.5. Nine five of all pod percentage of all podcasts are never going to be in a position where they're going to be deplatformed. Or I mean, most of the takedowns yeah. are happening, and we've talked about this a dozen times, is because of copyright violation, not because of a speech issue. But you know what? Uh, which one was a podcast business journal yesterday carried a piece about this uh, studio renting studio space up in upstate New York that uh, they basically getting evicted because the owners of the building didn't like the kinds of podcasts that were being produced in this. And he was renting them out to the, to these podcasts. It wasn't even his shows. Um, and uh, again, there you've got, you know, private owner of the, of the property telling the tenant what they can and can't do in the property. I mean, I guess if you don't want to have a smoke shop in your, in your building, you could say that too. But, uh, you know, the, yeah, content restrictions are or content based restrictions and decisions are, are definitely challenging. And I don't think anybody, any owner takes them lightly, but Todd, you know, you're both of you guys work, work at companies that do, um, podcast hosting, media hosting. And, yep. and as you said, you don't, uh, look at the content of the shows. But I suspect if somebody came to you, if well, if a group came to you and said, Hey, you're carrying a lot of those shows that are on this, you know, I don't know, call it racism, call it neo-Nazi, whatever you, you might have a business decision to make about whether it's in your company's best well, interest to continue hosting. Those we, we have a term and Rob has a term, uh, Libsyn has a term of service. Blueberry has a terms of service. And so when someone comes and we've said this again and again, too, when mm-hmm. someone comes to us, we say episode time hack. And then I turn it over to our lawyer and then mm-hmm. he makes a decision. Was it hate speech? Was it yep. invoking violence? And then from there, it is a, it is that gray. It yeah. is a business decision. If it, what if they're right up on the edge and don't go over? Um, so then there is that business decision, but you know, man, knock on wood here and (laughs) maybe it's pressed wood or whatever. Let me knock over here. There's some wood there. I'm thinking thinking five, I I think in five, (laughs) you know, in five, in one hand, I can probably count the number of those types of takedowns. And those were very, very clear. 
Well, there are some kinds of speech that have been declared illegal. You know, you, you hate speech is one of them. Yeah. Well, uh, but hate speech is protected by the Supreme Court. So, you know, there is you now you can say it, but you're, you know, well, you're going to suffer yeah. the consequences. Right. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, you can put that in your terms of service and yeah. it could be part of your values, right? right? right your right, beliefs, right? Right. Um, of, of what's, what's good. If it's ever challenged yeah, yeah and goes before yeah, the Supreme yeah. court, you might lose, right? That's the, the that's the, the fallout of this, this case that, you, that you're bringing up Gordon, uh, up in, up in upstate New York, uh, you know, it's an interesting situation because I went and watched some of the videos that this this content creator is creating and a lot of them are on YouTube uh, and they are still on YouTube. Um, you know, I didn't hear a lot of hate speech in there. Um, I think that the, the branding and how they, how they look and how they present themselves, you could get the impression maybe that there's something evil going on here, but I don't, you know, based on what I've heard so far, I'm not really hearing anything that anybody should be all that concerned about. Um, so this may be just an extreme reaction to maybe one comment somebody made. And I guess that that's what it gets back to too, is, um, in most of the examples, you know, Todd probably will confirm this, but most of the examples of when this happens, it's not like it's an ongoing thing that this content creator, um, has done over the history. Uh, it's usually like one episode, yeah, one that had some over-the-line comment, like right? That gets you that into got him taken that, down. that it, spotlight I mean, shined by yeah. the, call them social, uh, what he goes, uh, social justice warrior right. groups, you know? <laughs> right. Um, and, and that's, <clears throat> that's cancel culture at work, which is, you know, sort of an extreme end of using that economic, uh, power that, that I was talking about. You know, we as customers get to decide what we spend our money on or how, where we, direct our business. But when we get these hot button issues, you get groups that try to leverage that to put pressure on the businesses. And we don't know. You're right, Rob. We don't know what's going on in the background of, of that relationship between landlord and tenant either. <laughs> it could be a lot more than just the content on the show. You know, and I think too, it's a, it's a difficult, you know, I wouldn't want to have to be in that individual's position because he's just providing studio space and but again at the same point you know yeah you know there's that fine line it's who do you want to do business with well yeah i mean let's take it to a different extreme you know if i'm an owner of a movie studio of a facility where movies are filmed and some pornography producer comes in and wants to shoot their movies in my place do i get to say yes or no that's true you get to say yes or no yeah, there was actually a case uh, in, uh, I think it was in the Hamptons, Martha's Vineyard or something, where a woman had rented out an Airbnb, her house as an Airbnb, and they used it to film a porno movie. <laughs> in my uh, in my in my lease for my uh, office in Columbus, yeah. the the lease is eighty nine pages, mm. and so of course we had to have a commercial real estate lawyer go through there and say, okay. You know, according to your business, you know, here's lines yeah. 862, 1043. Maybe we need to get some protection there for you and have an adjustment of the lease. So I think yeah. what this really goes back to is if you're going to have a lease and you're going to be doing content, then you better have it locked down that you're, you're not going to lose that business if someone's pissed off about it could be anything. It could be a show right. show doing something about guns. It could be someone doing a show on 
uh, Bitcoin. You know, you just don't know where a social justice warrior campaign is going to be launched right. against someone because of, you know, some something that is in that yeah. show that pisses people off. So, and that's the really insidious thing about about speech in this modern era is that 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 cancel culture, social justice warrior kind of a thing can be brought. And and my personal feeling is that we should all sort of resist that as much as possible. But you know, there we all have to draw our own lines based on our moral values and things like right. that. And back to what what happened in the political arena this last couple of weeks. You know, I think these companies made their decisions about it and they will reap the rewards or suffer the consequences as the case may be. Um, uh, personally, I think that they waited too long and therefore it made it look like they were reacting to a single event rather than a, a pattern of conduct. And they could have made their case more effectively had there not been that one big event that was essentially the, cam the straw that broke the camel's back. And, you know, what's kind of funny is in regards to Parler is everything was public. There was nothing that was not public. Right. That's the thing that kind of cracks me up about that a little bit. At the same time, there's a call now to do a big FBI investigation on Parler. But what about Facebook and Google where they, where a lot of this activity and organization actually happened, not necessarily Google, yeah. but on Facebook groups, you know, is there a call now to investigate FBI? So sometimes there is a, a, a double standard and it's also politicians grabbing headlines as well so right um, well, it, well it's interesting that it was the the people who are the victims of that well maybe it isn't interesting it, it's ironic or, or whatever but it was the it was the uh the republican congress that was calling those tech leaders into hearings right. you know not that long ago and so uh, in, you know in calling them out for all this stuff as right. a retaliation yeah. sorry drop go ahead yeah, I think that there's another thing going on here too, is and 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 that is around these the you know Facebook and Twitter um, being blamed for causing this to happen in our culture in our society based on the concept of personalization, right? And there was that yeah. uh, what was it the social dilemma? Oh, that yeah. Every, every, series, everyone everyone you, should rewatch that after the last right, and two then or three add weeks. add that layer on top of this. But in some ways, maybe that's not really. Uh, right entirely to blame the social platforms for what's happened too. Cause I, I believe people need to be responsible too. I mean, at some point the people need to be responsible too, not just blame a social network that was doing what it does to aggregate audience and things like that. And I think a lot of people blame the media and a lot of people blame everybody else for what's happening in the world when Maybe in a lot of cases, maybe we need to look in the mirror and say, you know, how am I contributing to this? Yeah. I think there's a lot of people that don't trust any of the sources. They don't know what to believe anymore because there's just so much information out there. And that, that's a big problem too. But, you yeah, know, but it's I, also behavior, Todd. I think people can talk about things online without taking oh, them into yeah. the real world. Yeah. Right. And they wouldn't say it face to face if they were. Right. right. And if they were, they would be called on it and then there would be a discussion about it, which, you know. It can be, you know, we've all seen those threads where it goes ugly. I think, too, if you look at, for me, I think the, the challenge I have is what do you do now if you are a business owner and you have an online presence and you're running a site that could be considered controversial? You know, you almost have to rethink your complete business plan because 
there is a good chance that, you know, now this is, this is a unique time is when, um, well, you know, there's been some others have been taken down. So, you know, it's going to be a unique time where maybe people aren't going to trust the cloud so much. Maybe they're going to have to get their own iron again and, and, uh, data, data centers, and they're going to have to negotiate their own internet connections again, instead of using these cloud services, because, if a business company, it goes right back to what I've said about podcasting for a long time. If you're building your land on rented ground, I mean, you know, that's, that's with, uh, with risk. So. Well, I think there's a lot of opportunity for uh, businesses to come into the space and say, we are all about being content agnostic. We, we will not censor. We will not judge unless we're directed by a court to do so or something like that. I don't think that can exist today. I don't think that can exist. You don't think it can? I don't think it can exist because w- what happened? Okay, so irregardless if there was, let's just say, let's use a hypothetical that Acme Pencil Company, mm-hmm. so we don't, it's just as something mundane as that, someone gets a hair up their butt and says, we don't like you, we don't like what you're doing, we're going to, we're going to, cancel we're gonna we're gonna do a pressure campaign against your host we're gonna do a pressure campaign against the dns servers you can't you can literally be removed from the internet today so i don't think players upstream and downstream i guess that's right so i don't think there's any way anyone can have a platform today that says we won't moderate i i don't think that can exist i i just don't think it can uh, someone, it'd be I an think interesting experiment for someone to well, experiment. <laughs> not my money, but, but uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, to see if you could get the Verizons and the eighteen, you know, the the people who really own the control the backbone, to agree that if your content, you know, if this is your business model, that they would leave you alone. Yeah, but, I don't think yeah, so. Right. I don't think so. In some well, ways, maybe, this is a little bit of of a example of us um, how we were in the early days of the internet um, too of of there wasn't, I mean, I think it was a little bit of both because when the internet started, we had America online, right? So, and everybody thought that the internet was America online. That's right. <laughs> and back in those days. And so, and then we've kind of moved out of that. We, we, we moved out of it for a while and then we started to build proprietary platforms again that people aggregate in. So I guess what, what this means is the human nature wants to congregate right and so companies take advantage of that by building proprietary platforms and so it feels like we're you know it's this yin and yang thing going on it's like we've gone through different phases of this and we're coming into a time where we just came out of massive aggregation on proprietary platforms and now you know that hasn't worked out so great for everybody so now we're breaking away from that and going back to what happened after we came out of america online in the early days of the internet so um, some, it feels like deja vu to some degree, Todd. Some of us were laughing at people that were on AOL. We like you, you know, there is a world beyond AOL, right? Right. <laughs> You've got mail, you know. But every but, once in a while, I still see someone with an AOL email address. Right. right, yes, right I right. saw one the other day. It was kind of weird, you know. It, but it brings back the point: why? See, most people can't perceive this at this time because they weren't there. Why and why when podcasting started, was it so remarkable? It was remarkable because we were pissed off at the gatekeepers. We were pissed off at the Microsoft world. We were pissed off at the cable company world. We were mad at radio. You couldn't, you you could put media online, (laughs) 
But, uh, you know, it, it was very, very difficult. And well, this, open source, right? Oh, open yeah. platforms, yeah. So, Napster, all that stuff. Right. Yeah. So, you know, and it was, you know, really the attitude was, uh, you know, middle finger to the man. You you can't stop us anymore. And then, so now we're at a point where, where everyone was very independent and, you know, saying uh, that I am in control. But we've changed, we're, you know, we're 16 years ahead now and people are, you know, it's, it's about platforms. It's about, you know, hanging out in certain locations. It's it. And, but maybe this will give people pause and make them think that, Hmm, you know, do I need to put all my chickens in one basket or all my eggs in one basket? Well, isn't that the, how the man has always operated is when he spots that, uh, he, when, when he spots that area of discontent, he finds a way to flip it around and occupy that space in a way that feels safe for people until it doesn't. Right. <laughs> Here we are again. So. so there is a little bit of a model that's starting to form in a small country in Europe. I'm trying to remember which country it is. I don't know. Is it Lithuania or some country where they've, or was it, uh, I can't remember which, which country it was, but they are creating this whole new infrastructure around the, the internet where each of their citizens owns the control of all the information that they publish online. So it's almost like you as a person, you have a, a, an account with the internet, right? Yeah. And anything you post on there, and this, this is maybe where blockchain technology comes into play at some point in the future here, um, where you own everything that you post online, you own your, your, your accounts everywhere. All the content is owned by each citizen in that country. So they've, it's almost, it's similar to like the social security numbers, right? So, but that's all, uh, public, but private information. So it's an interesting change on how we might be able to evolve this into something that, um, is, is open. Um, but yet the individual is in full control of, of all of the data. They can go in and delete things. They can remove things, um, that were posted. Um, there's a collaboration that can happen between people in this, um, tool, I don't know. It's hard to say how that applies to this conversation in some ways, but it's an interesting thing that I think that there is the potential of a model that uh, is less confrontational to what we're seeing today around proprietary and open platforms. That That is actually a lot of that is happening at the whole EU level. There's a lot of that um, right. data ownership, data privacy kind of stuff happening there. But, you know, the big contrast is here and coming back to the, the law, you know, the U.S. Supreme Court has said companies are people, too, for the right. purposes of free speech. And so when, you know, in Europe, the EU can say to Google, hey, you've got to take that down. They can't do that here. And, mm-hmm. uh, I don't see that changing anytime soon. What I, what's interesting though, is that, you know, I think that if, if, if enough people are concerned about these issues, uh, there is precedent in the law for treating media and data companies as common carriers. You know, the cable TV companies had must carry rules. The telephones, uh, service providers aren't allowed to listen in on your calls and decide which ones they're going to let through the package shipping industry doesn't get to decide. We're not going to ship that box because we don't like what's in it. So it, it, it's theoretically possible to classify some of these businesses more like those common carriers under the I mean, the law goes back to the 1860s, I think, but, uh, you know, it, it would be, something to maybe look to our, our elected leaders to, uh, to try to make happen. 
I mean, is there a danger of that though, just based on what we've seen happen, um, that, that, you know, um, that gets taken advantage of, right. And it causes, um, conflict and, you know, I hate to say, but, of you know, a form of, right? <laughs> of digital civil war because everybody's able to say anything and not be accountable to anything. Yeah. Well, I think that's what the framers actually envisioned. Right. This giant yeah. Open no, I know. But I mean, where like we've been saying, be there's consequences and, for free speech and, and that's, yeah, that's, that's so, what the consequences might and, be. And there's this fine line too. I did an interview with a gal it, was, it came out in pro Republica and part of the conversation I was having with her was, is like, all right, there's been a lot of recently looking at shows that are, you would on the surface, if you didn't listen, never listen to content, you would say that's a conspiracy show. And mm-hmm. maybe it's not framed as a conspiracy show when it's recorded, but on the surface, right. maybe some of us will look at and say, oh, that's just conspiracy talk. Well, there's been conspiracy talk all the time, but yet now, you are almost, you almost have to be very careful about talking about Bigfoot because it's all of a sudden like, oh my God, you're a Bigfoot believer. Uh, take that content down. So, well, you know, the Flat Earth Society. I mean, that's, a, flat, that's another flat example. Flat Earth, of Earth it, right? 2, you know, all this stuff, <laughs> Q and everything else. So, right. there's this, there, so where, you know, but it's also, I think, a, bit about how it's framed, how the content's framed, right, but right. you're allowed to be a wacko. Yeah. You know, I think <laughs> anonymity is a, as a component of this too. It's much easier to be controversial or even offensive right. when there are not going to be any consequences because right. nobody knows it was you who said it. Yeah. And right. I don't know how you address that, but. Well, I mean, a lot of these platforms have, have kind of shifted towards, you know, real user identity, you know, right. I think even parlor did that as well. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, where they had sign up process where you had to verify your, your, you know, who you were. Um, and that's, and no private, that is group, one way to combat that. Yeah. There was no private groups. Nothing. It was all public discussion, all open, right. you know, and that's the thing that people think about like, wow, that, that in a different circumstance, some people would say, wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> but it was so politically charged. Right. Yeah. You know, but, oh man, I t- it's, it is interesting times for sure. And, you know, I, Gordon, have you seen anything come through? Have you had clients call and say, I'm worried? You know, I haven't had clients call me and I mean, I, I've had discussions in groups, but I haven't had any individuals come to me and say, I have a particular concern about actually, I shouldn't say that I've had the cancel culture thing come up a couple of times where uh, somebody has been threatened with or subjected to some kind of a boycott or something like that. Usually in the context of a, of a, of a disgruntled former podcast guest <laughs> trying to make yeah. trouble for a host. And, you know, I'm on that crusade to get people to sign releases when they go on, when they have them on a show. But uh, you know, and, and usually the answer is, well, if you want to take the episode down and succumb to that kind of pressure, that's your business. But, you know, there's something to be said as I, as I advocated, a you know, a, a genuine public square approach where anything goes, Hey, as the host, you, you, you know, you have a right to stand up for your free speech rights, uh, in the face of that kind of threat or controversy. But, you know, everybody has their own business decisions to make about this stuff. And, and based on this, and you talking about anonymity. I could see a lot more podcasts now being launched with the host being anonymous or using a stage name. 
Um, sure. Because I go all the way back to the beginning of podcasting. I had a podcaster that was making six good six figures every year. And uh, he told me, Todd, 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 please never, ever, 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 ever. I mean, he like, you know, I would have never done it, but he almost begged me, don't ever say how much money I make on my show because I'll, I'll lose my job. They know how much I'm making on my side job, on my side business, I'll lose my job. And he, he, you know, he worked for a very big company that didn't, you know, it was a little sideline thing. It was nothing to do, had absolutely no relationship to his content. So yeah. That was one specific thing for me when I was in the Navy, um, I held a security clearance and -hmm. there would be, you know, I do a tech show. So there would be certain topics that would come up and be like, Oh, I'm not talking about that because there was sometimes a direct correlation between a story that I wanted to cover because I had background, but it was like, no, 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 it's too close to the job. So I self-censored in that situation and just not, didn't talk about that. But I think today, you made light of it. I think there's a lot of people that are very, very scared to to vocalize any type of opinion anymore, even if it may not be controversial. I think people have gotten, people are, you know, at least in certain forums are becoming yeah. very scared to speak. Well, yeah, and I think and we've seen a lot of that around becomes uh, <laughs> women in podcasting too, around yeah. certain topics of podcasts where they've, they've taken on a, you know, a, a stage persona, um, that was, that protected their professional life right. or just their plain safety around their, their identity. And we've, uh, Todd, you, you and I have seen it firsthand, uh, with the guest that, um, was sure. supposed to be on this show. Yep. That was under under um, I mean, you know uh, escort yeah, they, <laughs> at an event. They were they um, were they were scared for their physical safety. Right. And she was a very very popular and long term podcaster. Um, so it was, you know, we've seen it first. I've known other podcasts that were doing um, shows on sexual relationships type content, and they were very concerned about their their identity getting linked up with that. Um, and then there's a so, whole industry yeah. and people trying to out people. They're doing anonymous shows. They're trying to now figure right. out who was right. this person. Yeah. And, and that's been in the blog world too. There, there, there was the whole be, you know, controversy the around the fake Steve jobs the blog, kind of you know, things, that so. kind of thing. Oh, Gordon's talking. Yeah. You're, you're having a hard time hearing him. I'm going to have to turn Gordon's volume up a little bit. I think I have to reach him. <clears throat> Yeah, I can't hear. Him. Yeah, what were you, Gordon? Can you repeat what you said? I was just saying, you know, there are mechanisms that would allow those folks who want to identify an anonymous host or or podcast producer or something like that to force the the media hosting company or the web hosting company to reveal the identity of their customer. It's not easy, but if somebody's serious about it, they can make it happen. It's usually through legal means and discovery yeah. and that kind of stuff. So right. we've seen that happen with someone that uh, was doing an anonymous show. They slandered. I mean, like it was, it was yeah. I, I heard it. I'm like, Oh, that wasn't good. And the person, you know, the person, uh, you know, did a lawsuit and within, you know, a sure. couple of weeks, all of a sudden we got the you know notification who owns this account. Yeah, so if you trash talk people on your show, even if you're anonymous, (laughs) that may not last for long Right? uh, if you get it wrong. Yeah, if you get it wrong. Yeah. So, I don't know. Do you think there's going to be more anonymous shows now? I hope so. 
Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I think that's how people, you know, I mean, that, that openness, that freedom, I hope that they're, that people are responsible about it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think that, you know, frankly, that's kind of the fun of it. I mean, it's nice to know it's Joe Rogan talking, but it's also kind of fun when you don't know who, who it is. you think who you know who it is, but you don't really know, you know, uh, that could actually be really good marketing. Yeah. But in some ways that doesn't really protect you though, in some ways, cause then there'll be, you know, if something does happen, you know, they can, yeah. you know. They can that try and dig point. you up, right? Anonymity <laughs> isn't real. It's it's perceptual, and it's right. something that happens at the at the surface level. But if you infringe a copyright or a trademark, or you defame somebody or invade somebody's private, you give anybody legal reason to come after you. They're going to find out. It's. I mean, let's face it. You guys both from you know hosting companies. You're not going to fight over getting a subpoena for that. You're going to comply with the subpoena. It's not worth the time and energy right. and your terms of service allow you and your privacy terms allow you to comply with the court order. So you're going to do it. When a court comes calling with a court order. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's you know, I can say no, but guess what that's going to do. Now I'm <laughs> going to have to go to court. Right. You know, and say and defend why I'm not giving up this information. So I think that a lot of it's circumstantial. And, you know, we say, well, we'll fight this and we're not going to give up the information. I think a lot has to do with the context, context of what's being, you know, why someone is being sued or whatever it may be. Yeah. Yeah. So just being anonymous doesn't protect you from co potential consequences of illegal activity or being taken down. What it does is it just protects your potentially at some level protects your personal safety or identity in a various type of, uh, situations like your career or your, your personal safety. So I, I, yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. A layer of Do we lose Gordon? Not a, not a impenetrable barrier. <laughs> no. So. no, I'm trying to make some adjustments to the audio. It's on you, Rob. Okay. You can keep talking. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. But, um, yeah, I think that there's all sorts of issues that are popping up around this topic, and and I think the podcasting space is being seen more and more as a as more of a safe haven for um, free speech right now. And I, I don't know if that's a that's a fair um, label to put on podcasting. Is it really any different than anything else? Is the other question, or is it just that we haven't been targeted yet? <laughs> And what's your thought on that, Gordon? It may be that we haven't been targeted. I mean, I do think that it is a an opportunity for uh, less moderated, less less gate fewer gatekeepers in the in the equation. And right. you know, really, as the host of the show, I choose what's on it. At least for now, I don't see the law changing that anytime soon. The free the First Amendment is pretty powerful, but uh, you know, these economic forces that we've been talking about are, are certainly there and at work, and and the potential for Either that self-censorship coming in because you have economic interests to protect or uh, or companies in the, in downstream or I don't know whether it's upstream or downstream of the of the show host um, may come in. But I think you have to get pretty controversial, pretty far afield before that's ever going to come to bear. Right. And I think that the self-censorship thing has really always been there to some degree, depending on your your values and your um your, I guess, of course, the position, right? Of course, that you have in whatever topic or field area that you have, right? 
Yeah, as Todd said earlier, you know, the things that you would say in the public square face to face with a person are different in tone and character and probably content than the things you would say when you have the intermediation of computers and wire. Nobody's able to reach through the wires and punch you in the face for what you say. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I'm sure that's coming. In, <laughs> yes, everybody's going to have a, a boxing glove virtual on Virtual reality, that right, that we're all going to be living in. Push the button. <laughs> hey, I just, uh, I, I hope that um, podcasters that are doing See, see, here's, if, if, you know, okay, you come to me and say, Todd, I'm going to do a show that's really kind of controversial or it's conspiracy based. I'm going to be like, then I would approach doing a show like that where I would say, this is the such and such conspiracy show. I would make light of stuff, but you can be light and share what you think is a conspiracy you may believe in and not be perceived as a wacko. So there's a way to, there is a way to present content. If you think it's a conspiracy that allows you to thread this needle, you know, it's one thing to say, well, I think JFK jr is still alive, you know, and then, mm. and then the thing to say is, you know, guys, I, I heard some people think JFK Jr. is still alive, <laughs> you know? So there's different contexts as a way you can present stuff in a show. <laughs> but even that, I think, exposes you to the yeah. possibility that the, that the further out on the fringes wackos that, that believe this thing so firmly come at you and, and, and essentially try to cancel you because you've made light of it. Oh, that's so. true. <laughs> <laughs> So there's no way to win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, exactly. At risk of being a Star Trek nerd, you know, it's the Kobayashi Maru scenario. Right. There's no winning. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. Because then the uh, it's like the ones that believe it to say, "Oh my God, what are you saying? That is the truth." How that is you make fun of it. So That's right. right. You, you crazy. You, you, so, <laughs> Todd, you're making <laughs> fun of somebody. You're, Look, you're that's insulting the my beliefs. Somebody's always going to be offended. That's right. And I can say vanilla right. ice cream is great, and I'm going to have the chocolate enthusiasts. <laughs> like, you know, not that it matters. Hey, who who invented podcasting? Right. You know. You know, my grandfather. God bless his rest his soul. He would. I, as a teenager, I was always amazed because I would sit around and people would pull in the driveway and they'd, the, 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 the men at the time, they're all doing chewing the back and spitting in the bucket and talking and, you know, and, and I'm just sitting there, you know, this little kid listening and my grandfather would pick, he'd become the devil's advocate he'd, he'd pick another role and he would, he would fight and argue and I'd be like, I know he doesn't believe that, but he would, he would for just sport. Mm -hmm. play devil's advocate to have a conversation and have discourse. And I think a lot of people today cannot have regular discourse. And we've got to a, a point in, at least here in the United States where it's, I'm right. No, I'm right. You're wrong. You're wrong. You can't have a conversation. And it's been going on for a long, long time. And I think it's what Rob alluded to earlier is that um, now if you think someone is right, you want to can are wrong, you want to cancel them. And um, I think we, sh you know, I am always troubled when I hear about people that aren't allowed to speak at universities and where there's none of this cross of discussion. 
it's okay to disagree with somebody. Just like last week, if you disagree with us, great. We're, you can disagree with us. We can still be friends and we can still move on, but I'm going to argue mine and we'll have to agree to disagree and we can move, keep on moving down the road. But I, nobody is just their opinion. You know, the, your opinion does not define you as a person or as a, as a worthwhile human being. In fact, I don't think the sum of your opinions does that. It's much more than that. And, and we're, we're in a time now where people are basing their judgments of one another on a single opinion or a single right. point of view and, uh, really taking some very difficult actions on the basis of something like that. And that, that's a shame. Yeah, and it, yeah, I, think, I mean, it goes it goes pretty extreme too. People don't even want to be around people that have a different view. You know, it's it's gotten very very personal, and and I just wonder where we go from here, right? Um, you know, my perception is this wasn't so much uh, an issue. I mean, the internet's been around for a long time. There's been debates and discord. I just wonder what has changed. Um, that has caused this to accelerate and ramp up to be much more of an issue than maybe, maybe it always has been. We, we just didn't perceive it that way. Um, somehow, I don't know. I mean, it's, well, where do we go from here is the next question. What Facebook feeds me is what Facebook thinks I want to read. I no longer see posts see, from uh, my mom. Cross, I right. don't see posts from you. I don't see posts from Gordon. Once in a while, I'll see posts. I, I, I don't see. I see what Facebook thinks I should see. And so what does right. that do? It goes back to the social dilemma. It silos us. And, right. and then when we do see something on the fringe, of maybe something that value-wise is different, and we make a comment, then, then it turns into a bloodbath. Mm -hmm. Right. Maybe, we'll talk, maybe, I'm thinking back to the earlier days of the internet. Um, when these platforms were first getting started. Um, and I recall having many conversations with like a Robert Scoble or some of those that were complaining that these social platforms had a lot of noise in them. Right. Um, this comment of noise is what he perceived as, um, non-relevant content to my interests. Right. So I think we did kind of create this with a, reasoning that made sense at the time, this personalization concept. And I know we've talked about it on the show somewhat, but I think it's relevant to this conversation too, is, is I think as technologists, I think we thought that, you know, it was better to deliver to people only the things that they had an interest in, right. As a better experience. But I, I do remember conversations happening around, around people having concerns that delivering information that people only had an interest in uh, would also silo us. So there were some warning signs many years ago in discussions on this topic. Um, but I guess maybe the social platforms were seeing economic gain by siloing us uh, around interest and in delivering ads and this whole concept of targeting. And now we're facing somewhat this issue in the podcasting realm of there's some economic benefit to segmenting podcast audiences and targeting them, right? is this really an issue more about targeting and, and delivering specific content to a user that wants to see it for some economic benefit? And I'm just, that may be at the heart of this whole thing. Yep. The almighty, almighty dollar. Right? I'm, yeah, I'm holding up a dollar for those of you listening. This is what it's all about. And they don't yeah. care about us. They don't care about the, 
the d- d- discord and the, you know, why, why would, why would my mom's content be blocked from me on a social? S- I have to go look for her content because but, guess know, what? It doesn't yeah, make I'm, them no money. It isn't about whether they care about the discord. I think the discord is actually good for them because they, they thrive on that engagement yeah. that, you know, when, when they push your buttons, you push back Yeah. when it's all just stuff that sort of keeps you in neutral, then you're not doing anything. And and that includes, you know, push that like button or share or comment and click on that ad. Yep. Right. So all of the, you know, they, they're training us to click the buttons. Right. And do- so, uh, so how do we yeah. react to this to, you know, I think just, I guess, be open to more sources of information, be proactive about, um, not allowing ourselves to get siloed into certain information sources, I guess might be a good way of saying it. Or is that even opening a Pandora's box as well? It's hard to break habits and they've trained us. They've trained us like, like chimpanzees or no, like sheep. That's a good analogy. We, we follow along like sheep. So right. a few of us might be concerned and try to break the mold, but most people just go with the flow. Yeah, yeah, I think we might have a little bit of an effect if we stopped using the like button, if we stopped engaging with, you know, things so much. But again, that's, you know, we've been trained to do it. So how do we train ourselves not right. to? It's like going on a diet. <laughs> and and that's an interesting point, Gordon. You know, I like that point is that you're not giving Facebook a, a signal that you – like or dislike or have some emotional connection. See, that's the other part of this too. And it may be those, those optional selections that, that they added that had emotions linked to them that they can, they can utilize against us. (laughs) So, so I, I know we're here live on Facebook. It's kind of funny. You know, we're talking about Facebook. We're live on Twitter. We're on Twitch. We're on YouTube. And we want to use this to reach people so we get feedback during the the live show. But if we think about it, I still say podcasting is, is the last bastion of free speech. I think that it gives the biggest opportunity to the, to the widest audience, right, left, down the middle, up, sideways, pink, purple, blue, blue green, I think gives everyone the ability to to have a voice and get their content out there. It, obviously it's then up to them to promote their voice and to be, you know, to get recognized and have people follow along. But, you know, I took some breaks from Facebook. I took, I'm still on break from mainstream. Actually I broke the rule yesterday. I saw some headline about the guardsmen being put in the basement and, it, and really my approach was much different than other people's approach because I got I got to thinking about well in 1994 I was in in Masira, Bahrain stuck in a what was a Pakistani internment camp for illegal alien or illegal people that were illegally in the country, and we were put into this compound called Camp Suture that we end up calling Camp Gulag, and I had the pleasure of paying two dollars a day to be there, and that was the biggest absolute most insane shithole you've ever seen in your life it was i mean it, it was it you know i'd have rather slept on the road so i had made the kind of comment i'd rather been in the garage than been in the rooms they gave us there so you know right. that was kind of my analogy to that article that came out about guardsmen in the basement which got everybody outraged but 
Um, I just use a perspective. You haven't seen nothing yet. The garage is well, awesome, yeah. you know. Yeah, I've um, heard some say that uh, <laughs> that that that's part of the the training that the military does for soldiers. Is I mean, if they go out on in, right. in deployment, it's not like they're going to be staying in a four star hotel. No, no, you know? no, no. So it's, you know, it's so, it's like don't don't set expectations that are right. that are not like what they might face in in combat. Right. So I took a break from mainstream media. Right. And I feel right. much healthier for it and took a break from Facebook and felt much healthier for it. It's hard because my business revolves around stuff going on in yeah. Facebook, but I'm the same way. Yeah. <laughs> you'll well, feel take better from Facebook, but keep listening to your podcasts because yeah. they are, I think you're, I agree with you about the, the bat last bastion of free speech, but I'll say that is not something that we can just sit back and accept as, as a, a fact. We have to defend it. We have right. to, as podcasters right. and, and business people, we have to, uh, be vigilant and and watch out. So th- this conversation we've had today is is right along those lines. And thank you for that. You know, B- Barry and I had a discussion about this. I'm like, you know, because we haven't had something come up where it's tested us recently. But you know, Barry and I both said that we are going. You know, at some point we'll probably be tested as a company to, to where are we going to draw the line. And uh, it's something we mm-hmm. look at very seriously. And uh, it may come down to an unpopular decision that we say, yeah, we're going to continue to support this person's content on our platform because we believe in free speech. And, and as long as it doesn't again, violate the violate the terms of service, we may end up making an unpopular decision. So I'm not saying that's going to happen, um, but I'm sure it will at some point. But yeah, you know, and, the, the, and from now the legal Lipson's advice would be make sure you set about up it's the training hey, groundwork just, for being the, able to hey, do Rob, that. You're stepping now. on Gordon again. I don't know why. Oh, I'm yeah. But I'll I'll stop. Rob has something to say. <laughs> oh, ahead. that's okay. Um, yeah, I was just gonna say, uh, uh, Lipson. You know, if you look at the the name of Lipson, um, Liberated Syndication, uh, when they started in the podcasting medium back in 2004. The whole idea was to, you know, was part of that theme back then was stick it to the man. We're going to build a platform that doesn't have any gatekeepers. Um, that's what podcasting was really all about. So uh, I think what we're, we're, I think, Todd, you're right. I think over time we're going to be challenged in that because we're starting to be seen as, um, you know, a form of mainstream media now. So it's, it, it's, you know, a lot of the big media companies are getting involved in a lot of the values that come from those companies are going to transfer into podcasting. Um, so, you know, do we, I think we are going to be challenged on, on this. And I know that Lipson is pretty strong in their terms of service around not really specifying any content that, uh, violates terms of service. So it's pretty loose at this point, just because it's consistent with our brand. And you know, that believe it or not, that's probably gonna be very unpopular to some people. Yeah, it will be. And same with us. And I, I'm not saying we're alone. I'm sure there's a lot of other podcasting companies that have the same stance. You know, the company that was hold, hosting Banyan's content, you know, it's still online, probably very right. unpop, unpopular for some. They haven't made right. a public statement about it, but well, they have. The content's still online with their hosting service. So, um, well, and that company's owned by a Chinese entity, right? Well, they'll they'll argue that they're a, they'll argue that they're an East Coast company, but yeah, East Coast, okay, yeah, yeah. but they yeah, their origins are definitely in outside yeah. the United States. Yeah, 
So though it, though there there's many companies in the podcast space have origins outside of the U.S. Yeah. So not that that matters a whole lot. But it could, you know, and it, it depends on you know things are looked at very differently outside the U.S. We we you know we think we're the center of the universe. And right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would agree with you, Todd. I think in some countries around the world, uh, content is much more fiercely uh, cracked down on. Definitely. Well, I, you know, <laughs> people get you go. You, you know, people go to jail for the things they say in a podcast or on a blog. People get thrown off buildings for stuff they say. Yeah. You know. Right. So. Yeah. You know, let's That's, be that, thankful for what we have here. Right is the takeaway. Yeah. So, and again, I, I think we'll, we'll see how it all pans out, but there is, there's definitely movement afoot. I don't know, Gordon, what do you, what do you think? You think there's going to be more pressure to, for companies like us to moderate? Do I think, you know, you know, I mean, I think the, I think that we'll see, we may see government coming in and trying to regulate our industry in, in ways that they haven't yet, um, uh, I don't know that it'll work. I don't know that it would survive constitutional scrutiny, but I think, yeah, we may be in for some fights on the subject uh, before too long. Um, I, I think the antitrust uh, enforcement against the bigger companies, Apple and, and Google and maybe Facebook and probably not Twitter, their market share isn't nearly as, as uh, yeah. expansive, yeah. but you know, and Amazon, I mean, I, Amazon I, is cruising for it. I think, I, I think, I think uh, <laughs> Apple and their iOS and Google yeah. and, and their platform for Android, I think they are probably facing or could face, I guess. We'll see what happens over the next months or so. But if you think about it, they are the gatekeeper. You know, they can say, no, we don't want your app. And then yeah. where do you go? There's no place to go. You have been so... Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, there is a case in uh, in the courts right now involving uh, Epic Games um, right. suing Apple over being kicked out of the App Store. And I think that's really the the bellwether case that we should be watching because it it deals with that particular app. But there's no reason that it couldn't be applied to content or. I, other things. I think Apple has a good chance of winning that because it was a dispute over finance terms of service versus. Yeah, I mean, the, the the issue is that we won't allow you to make money the way you want to. You have to do it our way. Right. And since we control the means of distribution, we're essentially, you know, it's our way or the highway. And uh, so you could, I think it could go either way. I think Apple probably has, you know, the, the stronger position just given that, hey, you knew what you were getting into when you started and we haven't changed the rules on you. <laughs> And you violated our terms. The hard, the hard, the harder path, though, for companies now, if they're really truly worried about this, is they got to do a PWA. They have to build a, a web app that is right. basically available the, via the internet, via that dot com that they go to, and it looks and smells and acts like an app, but it's not an app you can install. So at least they have that. So then you can't be kicked off, for, at least from the yeah. app store. But yeah. you, so that I think is going to be looked at a lot more i know some companies are moving to that because they do not want to be held to the constraints that apple's holding them to by having an app but if you don't have an app you're not cool either so it goes two ways yeah, yeah. so uh, to kind of complete this conversation i know that there are some um 
handset makers outside of the U.S. that are starting to make handsets that are utilizing a version of uh, of, of Linux, right? So there are some lo- low-cost smartphones that are starting to be produced outside of the U.S. that are going to be distributed throughout Africa and other other th- you know what considered to be more third-world countries um, that will have uh, more open ecosystems. I just don't know if those platforms will ever migrate here and have any kind of significant um, market share in the U.S., but that would be the only opportunity is to create a third platform that uh, was built on a more of an open source architecture um, that is basically not controlled by a by a proprietary gatekeeper. So but again, I don't think it can be built and not scale. I just right, and that's that's a problem. The cat's out out of the box, you know. You know, it could. That's part of, go ahead. No, go ahead, Edward. I was going to say that's part of the antitrust argument is that because these two companies have such big market share, they're effectively keeping everybody out of the market. If they were uh, ordered to uh, open up the app environment or, or just, you know, to allow their systems to accept apps from other stores, that would point things in the direction of more entrance to the marketplace and if you if you believe in that economic theory uh, that would open up the marketplace and and that's the whole idea behind an antitrust and um, I, prosecution and that's the solution in the end if we want to get there because then market forces decide you can come right. you can have that app that has no content moderation and then you know you you have to see whether that model will work if it can survive and not right. be constrained by you know, you might, you may not survive because of lawsuits. You may not survive because of social justice campaigns. You may not survive, or you may thrive and maybe it's truly wild, wild west. I don't know. So it's, it's, I I think an open internet is good because then you you vote with, like you said, Gordon, you vote with your pocketbook. Right. And this is why. And or your attention. Yeah. You know, and that's why, you know, I think that, yeah, I think uh, there has been a movement towards, you know, like like you were saying, Todd, about the was it the the PWAs, um, which it really takes the proprietary um, native app infrastructure and the web infrastructure and kind of combines it into one. Um, so you don't have these proprietary app stores because there's only two right. that I understand today. Maybe Amazon kind of has their own little offshoot of it too. So maybe maybe three. Um, app stores that are out there. And I also believe that Windows in their next version is going to create their own little version of an app store um, built around the Android e- you know, e- ecosystem, but they can have their own variants of apps over there. So there could be at some point four different app stores that are out there. But right now, I mean, obviously there's two that are very dominant and is two enough to, to push off the, the antitrust concerns around two platforms dominating as much as they are. Yeah. And and I, I'm not up to speed on this, but I think Anchor, not Anchor, my God, Android has the ability, I think they're more easy to get a third-party app on an Android device, but maybe not. Maybe right. that's all changed and locked down. Now, I again, I'm, I'm primarily an iOS user, and we know, the, we know what the story on that is. Right. So my, yeah, my kids have Kindle devices and we are able to get, uh, you know, these, these side loaded apps and things in there. It's no, it's no easy feat. Uh, even for somebody who I consider myself pretty tech savvy, it's a hassle. And, um, and so the uptake is slow and spotty, but, uh, yeah, I think the, 
and you know, the, the two big ones occupying what probably 95% of market share is at least in the U S is, is right. dangerous. Right. Yeah. And boy, they're going to fight to keep their dominance too. Cause it's a, it's a, you know, they, they don't print dollar bills. They print million dollar bills you know, on an hourly basis. So, you know, that buys, that buys a lot of legal time. Uh, you know, they, they probably have got 500 or more people on. I don't have no idea how many lawyers Apple has, but I'm sure it's a Pick big, a city, you know, yeah, big number. <laughs> big number because a million dollars buys you a lot of legal you know right. yeah, not that <laughs> much Todd. well a million dollars a minute or an hour you know buys you a lot of legal support right. <laughs> yeah and the, that's true and the constraints of things because you know apple and, and amazon and and google that you know they have uh revenues uh, bigger than some countries so <laughs> you know. so that tells you something when a private company in the united states or a public company in the United States makes more money than some countries that, that just should make you go. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's why we have laws like antitrust. I mean, we do rely on the government to kind of put a throttle on some of that stuff for good or bad. And right. I think it goes both ways. Yeah. Uh, but at some point you got to say, okay, enough's enough. You, we, we got to keep <laughs> the playing field a little bit level. Yeah. And I think, too, as I look back to when uh, dial-up was broken up, this is just a classic. AT&T owned all of long distance. Right. They had it all. Right. You had no choice. You, when, you get, when you picked up your dial-in line and you hit one whatever, even a call halfway across the state, you are getting billed by AT&T. So when they right. broke up AT&T, the bells, essentially, when they broke them up, and gave opportunity to MCI, Sprint, and those other folks to come in and compete. That was a big, big deal. I made a lot of money off that uh, breakup <laughs> of that antitrust because I was selling MCI. Oh, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I made, as a matter of fact, that was the first year I ran into the, I was living in California, running into the California tax board because I failed, failed to pay quarterly. And then when I paid my $18,000 at the end of the year, they said, hey, we need to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. Well, you know, but, but look what happened, right? So right. you broke up AT&T right. and now you've got, I don't know, what is it? Three companies still. It's AT&T and Verizon yeah, and yeah. one other outfit yeah. have the whole backbone. So, but it kind of come, folded back in again because no one's using wire lines anymore. So now it's right. AT&T, Verizon, Sprint, T-Mobile, you know, whoever else. Yeah, but, didn't, uh, didn't, um, didn't Sprint merge with T-Mobile? Uh, they T-Mobile, did T-Mobile I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So people Which don't. Was an think, interesting one. Yeah, right. pe- people just get a calls for free now. They don't, you know, they don't realize we used to. Yeah, we used to actually have to pay to talk to somebody. <laughs> you know, so right. how times have changed. But yeah, the area know. codes used to mean something. That's right. <laughs> uh, you know, I so, got. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to ask Gordon. Um, do you think that there's anything um, because of what we're seeing in the marketplace today that a podcaster needs to think about from a legal perspective um, when they organize their show um, or pull it together? Is there, you know, a growing need to create a a separate entity um, that s- separates liability at all, or do you think that people are okay just starting a podcast and there's not a lot of risk? Well, I, I do advocate forming an LLC if you're planning on doing any kind of you know, meaningful business with your podcast, whether, you know, you may not be in immediately planning to monetize, but if that's on the horizon, it's easier 
when you start out from scratch at the beginning. But it's a cost benefit analysis. Having a company means paying taxes and administrative stuff. It's not tremendous in most places here in California. It's an outrageous (laughs) tax on a minimum basis. But uh, in many places, it's not expensive to have that. And it does provide Mm -hmm. a a liability shield and it's useful to allow a um, uh, uh, structuring of ownership if you have multiple owners and members and things like that. But is it really, strictly speaking, necessary uh, at the outset? Probably not. If you're just beginning a hobby podcast, it sort of depends on your intentions. Um, I, I'd say, you know, understanding the laws of intellectual property, understanding the uh, the boundaries of free speech into, you know, defamation and privacy and those things, that's what's really important for podcasters uh, who are just starting out. And I'll, I think also... Um, paying attention to what journalism is, even if you don't necessarily think of yourself as a journalist, understanding journalistic ethics and which is a a malleable term these days. But, you know, when I was studying uh, media, what journalism meant was, you know, presenting things in a certain way and doing a certain amount of due diligence on the content that you're putting out there. And I think that's something we may have lost a little bit of touch with. And so many podcasters are coming in without any background in media. That's what I would say, you know, you want to learn and study a little bit before you dive too deeply and especially into controversial subjects. You know, I, I look at my journey in this whole thing is when I started my podcast, I started a corporation and I started as a C very quickly realized that was going to be very expensive, got permission to change it to an S that made it easier. And then had to do that through the IRS. Of course, I had got the little letter. So yes, you can be an S corp. But when I closed my first business and then when I moved here to Michigan, I opted to go the LLC route, the second round. And then all I do is I have appropriate insurance. Um, that's the bigger thing because I was having incurring a huge expense running a corp just from a accounting standpoint, LLC, it's easier to do it as a sole proprietorship or something like that. And about the same time, be able to, you know, if you think you're going to run a risk of saying something's going to piss somebody off, then getting some liability insurance. Um, and then that's not as easy. It's not easy to get to some of that insurance either. Yeah. If you can find it and if you can afford it. Right. Yeah, <laughs> Sometimes the LLC liability protection is the cheaper alternative, at least at the outset. But yeah, um, again, and again, the kind of show you do and the kind of work you do is going to affect the cost of that insurance. Uh, media errors and omissions insurance is, you know, expensive insurance. $2,000 a month. I mean, $2,000 a year, excuse me, $2,000 Oh, that's not so year. bad. Yeah. Uh, I, I've seen bills, you know, in the five and six <clears throat> figures a year for companies that are putting out a lot of shows. Right. So that, that's, wow. <laughs> so, Lloyd's. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, <clears throat> it's, it's not a like general business liability insurance, really. Oh. <clears throat> that's what oh, usually it's a separate uh, policy and, and, and only right. a few carriers actually do it. That's right. Only a few. And it's, yeah. it's, you know, and it's not necessarily because they review your content and they, you know, they, you know, it's, they go through all that. What type of content are you creating? And, you and know, I ask you questions like, do you have lawyers who review your content? Do you, I mean, whether the answer is yes or no affects the pricing, I suspect. Uh, what about your music? You know, what about, do you use music in your show? Do you, do you properly license it? All those kinds of things will, will be on that questionnaire. So. Gordon, maybe you'll agree or disagree with me. I always tell people it's better to have an opinion on a podcast than to state something direct as a fact. 
<laughs> well, in, in this day of alternative facts, thank you, Kellyanne Conway. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. I mean, you know, you, you are opinion is protected speech. Right. You are entitled to have your opinion and express it. When you say something as fact, you better be right. Because if that fact isn't true and hurts somebody's reputation, that exposes you to the, the liability for slander or libel. But, you, but and, it doesn't necessarily going to stop you from getting sued if you give your right. opinion that someone is a beep, beep, beep. You know, you still might get sued, but at least it's your opinion, not that it's, you know, yeah. your liability well, might be a little bit of, less. of fact masquerading as opinion. You oh, know, that's you can true. Couch the th- you can say, in my opinion, so-and-so is X, Y, Z because they did A, B, and C. And you've pretty much made the case for it being a fact. And so, yeah, I mean, as in everything in the law, it depends. It depends. <laughs> everything depends. <laughs> and who has the most money for, for their lawyer? That's what it usually, that's usually how it ends up. Yes. Yeah, and how the no. judge uh, got out of bed that morning, right? Right. <laughs> well, you know, when when yeah, I got into a situation where I was very being very very cautious in some content I created when my when we were trying to deal with a school situation, and I was running the social media campaign talking about a principal, talking about a superintendent, and stuff that you know I used FOIA requests to cover my butt because yeah. I was like, I want something on a piece of paper. But it that's came what from, I'm talking about, about journalism. Right. You did journalism there. You right. didn't just spew it out there and hope for the right. no consequences. But still, you know, you, you know, here's his email where he said this, you know, that, you know, that is, you're, you're protecting yourself. But again, it is, it's right. But that wasn't cheap. It wasn't cheap to do, you know, it's not cheap to do a FOIA. And most shows won't do that. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we're seeing a lot of that in the media today too. And I think it's given, you know, a lot of, you know, accusations and a lot of, you know, you know, comes across as almost personal attacks that, that you're seeing even in the mainstream media, That's, which is always interesting when I see because of all the same issues that you were talking about. And I, I think that that may be, um, why we're seeing the kind of, um, emotion that's laced in our culture today is that people are feeling emboldened that they can actually do those kinds of things, um, more than ever before. I'm not quite sure what has changed on that. I think, I think mainstream media on both sides is guilty of causing well, gasoline being poured on the flame on, on the pile. Yeah. And, and you know, that goes back to the mid eighties, 1987 under the Reagan administration, we had deregulation of the media. We took away the fairness doctrine, which required at the time it was broadcasters because it was the FCC required them to present uh, what now Fox has turned into a slogan, fair and balanced reporting. And, um, and you, you know, you, as a broadcast licensee, you, you risked your license if you were proven not to be pre- presenting a balanced presentation of things. And so we took away that regulation, that requirement, and that allowed for the, um, the polarizing of media and, and you got the left wing media and the right wing media. And a few people tried to stay in the center, but you know, you get pulled in one direction. <laughs> it doesn't or the seem other. like a successful no, place to no, be. No, 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 right? no. But, but that segmenting of audience allowed those companies to make huge tons of money. And right. you know, so, so the, the economic point of view says, well, that's great. And the uh, social freedom, I don't know what you call it. <laughs> you, you know, the, anyway, so that's where that all started. And, uh, and uh, yeah, some of that journalistic integrity that old school reporters would really have, you know, 
complained about it just went out the window. But if we want, well, and also I think when when those uh, those journalistic entities, if you look, think of the past of uh, these media companies when they had journalism divisions in their media companies that were not uh, profit centers, I think CBS there was a transition that happened yeah. when they became considered entertainment. Right? Um, they, they were aggregate. They they were advertising based. The advertising as well as the content became closer and closer to, together. Um, so audience numbers drove revenue profit centers where a lot of those media companies in the past saw those journalistic departments as losses in the company. Right. Yeah. Well, there were other rules in, in the FCC regulation at the time that required broadcasting entities to figure out what the public issues were and address them. It was called the ascertainment proceedings. And, um, uh, and that's why the the big networks established these news divisions that were uh, loss leaders, essentially. And let's face it, you used to be able to tune in and watch Walter Cronkite. And I think most people felt they could trust what was coming out of his mouth because he was a serious journalist and he was doing what was required, you know, to to present that fair and balanced. And they had an economic incentive or at least an economic risk if they didn't present things in a balanced way. And, you know, for good or bad, that's no longer the way it works. And today, the, the only way that any of this is going to change any of it. It's not through politicians. They're not going to change shit. And they're, so they're people. Not. It's people. People are going to have that. You're going to have to vote with your dollars. You're going to have to yeah. decide whether or not you're going to support a entity and their sponsors. And that's the only way. And it's almost social justice warrior stuff that you as an yeah. individual have to be your own social justice warrior, decide what you support and what you won't. Yeah. And then the mark, but, Again, I, I, dude, that sounds all great, ultra, you know, altruistic, yeah. but yeah. you didn't just get liberal on us, did you? No, 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 <laughs> no, no, I'm pretty middle down well, the road, is a, but I think what we, what we have here is we're a bunch of sheep, you know, we're all, you know, we just follow, you know, so it, right. Talk about that Amazon and the market power. Right. How many of us bother to get up out of, our, especially in the pandemic, but bother to get up out of our chair and go to a store to buy something because we, A, like that store and maybe it's a locally owned business. No, we mostly just pull up the phone and order the thing and it comes in a couple of yeah. days and we're done. You know, and, it, and to that, that's, you know, that's a whole nother five hours discussion. Walmart was open and Myers was open here, but all the local mom and pop stores were closed. So it went back to this whole same thing. We're just feeding this bigger beast of bigger companies making billions of dollars and the mom and pop small businesses, the power of this country are this pandemic has really shown that out, but that's, that's a whole different topic. We, Hey, you know what? We're at 90 minutes. <laughs> yeah, we are. Yeah. So yeah, we made it. <laughs> we have made it to the end. Gordon, uh, thanks for your, your, uh, your insight concepts, uh, you know, your commentary here. And for those of you that hang out, we had a pretty good crowd hangout today. Had a whole bunch of people on YouTube, a bunch of people on Facebook. Some people came in. I think people came at the beginning, Rob, to wait, see fireworks. And there wasn't, because <laughs> the numbers on Facebook went down. We had about 10 or 12 on Facebook for the first like 10 or 15 minutes. They said, oh, we're not going to be doing any fireworks. And then those people left. So oh, you see, we should have said inflammatory stuff yes. just to keep it going. <laughs> so those of you that hung out with us all the way on Facebook and YouTube, thanks for doing so. And uh, get over to newmediashow.com and click on the subscribe link. But Gordon, what's the way you do a podcast? Give everyone your information. 
So my podcast is called Entertainment Law Update, and it's .com, entertainmentlawupdate.com. But uh, you can find me at uh, G Firemark on most social media. On Facebook, I'm the podcast lawyer. And, uh, uh, yeah, my name, Firemark, makes it pretty easy to search for me. Right. And Rob? It's a good one. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Rob Greenlee, and you can send me an email if you want. I'd love to hear from you. Send it to robg at lipson.com, and uh, we'll be back on uh, Wednesday, right, Todd? Yeah. So I'm Todd at Blueberry.com or at Geek News on Twitter. We are going to try an experiment. We're going to see if my streaming provider has found my solution because I'm going to click to a screen capture, and if the stream dies, I'm going to be moving to a different provider because they've had a week to fix this. So we'll see. So are you going to test that right now? Tom? I'm going to test that right now as we leave. So, oh, okay. Well, oh. Gordon, yeah. thank you so much for, for spending an hour and a half with us talking about oh, all these issues. <laughs> thank you so much for having me on. It's been a lot of fun and, and uh, a little bit of an intellectual exercise. I appreciate it. <laughs> it's absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right, everybody, we're going to go ahead and flip the screen. We'll see you on Wednesday and uh, we'll see if uh, we get cut off the air soon as I flip this and I, here we go. We'll see. Hmm. Are we still here? And you, Todd, had you determined that it was at the streaming provider level yeah. or the it was individual at, service? I thought it was Facebook, but we will know here in a second. It was, it's, it was Wowza. Oh, I bet it died. Uh, is it staying on? It did stay on. That's a good sign. So the image stayed. You went to your logo slide? Yeah, yeah well, you guys can't see it because um, all you see yeah, is... You're not sharing. Yeah, that. not sharing the... Oh, I'm looking at it on my phone and I yeah, see it. It's so it, still up. So. It's still up. Hmm. We'll see if this holds. Let me check on Twitch. Yeah. Oh, good. Well... They figured Did it they out. Did they explain why? Why that happened, Don? Well, okay. So I, I'll come back. We're still alive. <laughs> yeah, I know we are. Yeah. Is, um, there was some setting they said to take off. On, it's been on there forever. And they said, change the setting and, and try that. And it, it worked. But that's been, that setting's been there forever. So huh. your okay. guess is as good as mine. The main thing is it's still on. So uh, anyway. All right, we're going to leave for good now. All right, everyone, take care. We'll see you next time. <laughs> bonus content. Here. Yeah, bonus no. content. All right, bye-bye. <laughs>